Yeah, we're back. Your favourite vets and Cheryl Shaw, a big welcome to you from Dog Overboard. Hello. Hello, Sarah. And Dr. Paul McCarthy, welcome aboard once more. Thank you, Sarah. Now we're here to answer any of your questions, 49216216. Then, Cheryl, you told me we're talking about pregnancy in cats. Are we talking about pregnancy in cats? Well, I'm going to be talking about pregnancy in women with owning cats. Ah, that makes much more sense. Okay. Okay. Zoonotic disease, what we've got to do. Hello, Trevor in Swansea. You've got a question for Dr. Paul McCarthy. I've got a rather large goldfish that the last two weeks it's been swimming uh, sideways and yet when I feed the fish it it eats and everything Um, but it's and it, it occasionally goes for a swim but I don't know what to do to rectify it. Okay, Trevor. So, the most likely diagnosis for your goldfish is a disease called swim bladder disease, where sadly the the, the buoyancy is being affected internally. Um, disappointingly, swim bladder is is generally a fatal condition. So, um, it it is a debilitating disease that the fish will keep eating, but disappointingly, because of that that inability to right itself, um, it it can be a fatal disease. Well, will it affect the other fish? So um, it depends on the cause for that. So it is important to watch your other fish for any other signs. Are you doing regular water maintenance with these guys? Yeah. Perfect. So just making sure you're doing your regular cleaning, your regular maintenance to ensure that the actual environment is right. Um, There can be many causes for swim bladder. Most of them are not contagious. It's a shame. It's just that it's it's grown into such a a big fish. How old is the goldfish, do you think? Oh, look, I've, I've had it for about uh, seven years, so... Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, Paul, it can just come on then. Yeah, You can have dis- a really healthy tank and it just happen. I mean, I've had a ha- couple of fish the same thing has happened to. Yeah, yeah. So there, there, are, there are sort of lots of causes for it, but disappointingly the outcome is generally the same for all of them. Okay. Yeah, oh. I didn't I could do for it, that's all. Yeah, my, I'm, I'm sorry, Trevor, but yeah, it doesn't, doesn't have a very good outcome. Yeah, I actually got it upright and... and it's been swimming around the bank, but then it goes sideways again. Yeah, and actually I've seen on, if, if you sort of Google these things, people have made sort of quite cool, like, you know, Lego contraptions, which they attach to the fish to keep, <laughs> keep it balanced and things. But um, yeah, yeah, so sadly, the, once it's affected, generally the signs are not reversible. Oh, right. Sorry, Trevor, looks like you might be in for another fish. Sorry about That's that. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Paul, question about that, and mm. this, you know, question without notice, but look, I found the most distressing thing about getting goldfish, and Touchwood, we're on a good run now. We've had these <laughs> these two. They're healthy. They're ravenous. They yep. love their food. But I went through probably two um, that, you know, I think they, were, they didn't look overly well to begin with. But they were sick for a long time. And, you know, when they're all sort of shriveled up, they're curled yeah. over. And I, I put them in another little bowl, and I thought, oh, my goodness, are they in pain? What do I do? And it took a long time for them to to die yeah and i thought do you just is that what you do you isolate them and just let them so be? certainly if you've got a, a mixed tank it's always important to isolate an ill fish um for several reasons often because um you don't want contagion to other fish mm. but also that fish becomes a target for the other fish in the tank to attack correct yeah, yeah. so that can sometimes be the case it's always good to isolate um when you do isolate also make sure what often people do is put them into say a jar or a smaller container the water surface area 
is really important because sure. that's where the oxygen transfer occurs. Okay. So sort of tall, thin jars are really it. inappropriate. So like a big bowl. You want a big, okay? wide bowl with a yeah. big, wide opening at the top to allow that water-air transfer okay. to occur. But, um, yeah, so disappointingly... Um, even just the movement from the aquarium at the fish tank in the fish shop to your own can cause shock. So it's a, it's a, a few things that are really important about when you transition new fish to a new tank. Sure. Um, it's important to do that in a very slow way and make sure water temperatures are correct. Yep. And it's really important that you have that tank set up for often a week or two as a minimum right, to prior get the water. to bringing the fish in so that they are, the water is conditioned appropriately for the arrival of the new fish. Okay. Now, Bernadette in Bulladeela, you've got a question about your 11-year-old blue healer. Yeah, I do. So uh, in the last, since March, she's just developed this habit that you were out walking on the lead with her and then she'll just stop and won't move anywhere. Okay. So um, Bernadette, has has she been well prior to March? Yeah, she's fine. Like, you know, she's she's all good. I just think it might be part of the fact that she's getting old. So certainly there could be two reasons here. Either we've got musculoskeletal disease, so she's sore, and the reason for stopping is that, there is, oh, yeah. that the walk is painful for her and she's wanting to try and stop that pain from starting. The second thing also could be that she's developed an anxiety about being on the walk. So um, as, we, as dogs age, anxiety conditions become more pronounced rather than less pronounced. And yeah. it could be that there's a reason for her not wanting to go on that walk because we've got the situation that she's either had an experience prior to March where she's not felt safe on the walk and so now she'd rather not have that experience repeated, hence she stops on her walk. When yeah, she's so at home, you, is, she, is she moving quite freely with her legs at home? Yeah, no, it's all good. I think it might be, like you say, the anxiety because when she's, it's, if you're at the shops and she's on the lead, so there is two, there's a lot of people and then she'll just stop walking. Yeah. I'd be suspicious that this is an anxiety-based condition. Now, yeah. that, that's not um, something that you can't work on. So the best thing to do with those circumstances is actually place yourself in an area where people are going to come past on a fairly regular basis. So it might be on a, on a street where there's a nice seat for you to sit on. Just sit with her on that seat. When she sees people coming or a dog coming, reward her with a treat. So we're going to link a positive with what she's currently seeing as a negative and try and break down that fear of people and dogs being around her. And then you might make that a closer experience. So you might start walking her past other people who are walking past and reward her again for a, a successful passing without I don't anxiety. Know if it is, yeah, I know. I don't know if it is that because when if my boyfriend is with us, like sometimes if, unless both of us are there, sometimes if only one person is there, then she'll just stop walking and stop moving. Yeah, and then so when, safe, when both safety of us in are numbers. There, she'll go. Yeah, so Bernadette, there's always safety in numbers. So if you've oh, got yeah. more soldiers in your group, you've yeah. got a much better protection rate. So therefore, that will be the case. So then work on the anxiety. Work on your anxiety, Bernadette. I think certainly she's telling you that she's nervous. All right, Bernadette, thank you for your call and good luck working on that. We're going to go to Noel in Toronto now. You've got a question about uh, what you can and can't feed your dog. Well, yeah, thanks very much, guys, for taking me phone call. Um, I've got an eight-month-old uh, uh, cocker spaniel, and I'm just wondering about um, pig's ears, how often, and is it okay to give them to them, as long as they're Australian? Um, is that fine, or 
Yeah, so absolutely. So, so Noel, um, when you've got a young dog, what you actually want to encourage them to do is start that gnawing process, which will actually encourage dental, good dental hygiene. So I, I love the idea of pig's ears. So, so my two dogs get a pig's ear every evening after their meal. That's their sort of dental flossing. So for, for dental hygiene, you want a product that will last for at least five minutes of chewing time. So um, dental chews and dental sticks that, that may only take chomp, chomp, and they're gone are not, yeah, help, not helping with teeth. So pig's ears are a really good option. The, the one proviso is just ensure that what you are choosing, a, a, so with a pig's ear, that your dog doesn't try and eat it too quickly. So sometimes yep. it re- requires you to even hold an end of the ear so that they're not trying to gulp it down too fast because not so much of a cocker spaniel, but some of the larger breeds will try and take that pig's ear in one go. Um, and yeah. we, we, we have had some choking incidents in those sorts of experience, uh, events. So a, a okay. cocker spaniel less so, um, but I really uh, applaud you for getting some dental hygiene started at a young age because prevention is far better than cure. On, you know. Yeah, I just didn't know if it was all right to give it to them uh, every day or every second day. But, yeah, so my um, great Dane and yeah. my staffy get one every day. You're off to a flying start. There you go. Thank you very, very much for that. No, enjoy your puppy, Noel. <laughs> and taking your calls, 49216216. There is a free line right now if you've got a question for Dr. Paul today. Now, Cheryl, we're looking at uh, pregnant women also being cat owners. We need to um, be careful. Absolutely. And this um, topic came out of a conversation Mark was having last week about zoonotic diseases. And mm. I thought, somebody had said to me, oh, I'm planning to have a baby, so I'm going to get rid of my cat. And oh. I thought, no, this is just wrong. But you can have a cat and live with your cat and love your cat. Because we all know cats are funny and, you know, they bring us a lot of enjoyment. They and do. they're really good for our mental health. But our problem with being pregnant or just before you become pregnant, you've got to watch out for a thing called toxoplasmosis. Yes. Now, what toxoplasmosis is, it's a little parasite that's found in cats' feces. So we want to make sure that we do not allow our cat to roam outside because cats that are roaming outside are going to pick up um, mice and birds and other little rodents and, and wildlife and, of course, eat them. And this can be a really big problem because that parasite is going to pass into the cat. And so when the cat goes to the toilet and we clean up the faeces, it poses a problem to the pregnant person. Right. So we need to just do a few things to prevent any problems. So first of all, we need to discourage our cat from being outside. This is a good thing. If, we, if it's not roaming and hunting, it's not going to ingest any prey that could create a, an issue And for it protects you. our wildlife as well. So that's a double win. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. So keeping your cat indoors is really important because those risks of the toxoplasmics are less likely if it's an indoor cat. Okay. Proper hygiene. This is most important. It's the key to prevention. Um, another thing, don't pick up or handle stray cats when you are pregnant because you just don't know what level they're at. Can this be transferred through skin to cat contact? Feces no, contact? So, so the actual uh, protozoa will be passed in the feces. Yep. So, but um, sometimes, for example, if cats are defecating, um, especially long-haired cat, you, you may get that happen. Okay. But it takes about one to five days for the paras- the parasite to sort of sp- what we call sporulate. Okay. So direct contact from cat to person is very unlikely. Right. But if I was cleaning out the kitty litter, yep. didn't yeah. have gloves on and then what rubbed my eyes or touched a my... A mucous membrane? Yeah. Yep. So it's by ingestion. You need to ingest okay. the parasite. Yep. Okay. So that's where those cat litter trays come into a really big key part of yeah. this. If you're pregnant, 
obviously try and find somebody else to clean out the kit. Sean, yeah, not it, pregnant, but not pregnant, but clean out that <laughs> yeah, kitty litter. Absolutely. And if you don't have somebody else as an option, you need to glove up. So don the gloves, clean up, and cleaning up really quickly. So you know, cleaning up, as Paul was saying, you know, that twenty-four to five days, twenty-four hours to to five days of that growth um, for that parasite. Of course. So okay. if we pick up that cat poo straight away, we're not going to have the issues. So keeping that cat litter tray there. really, really clean. Um, the and other- once you do, when you do do your emptying of a litter tray is always a really good idea once you sort of get down to the stage where you've almost got none left do a hot water cleaning of that tray and okay. that makes you also doubly sure you're protecting okay it. yeah that yeah. boiling right. water is a good idea so just take the jug out and pour it over it outside sterilize it and yeah. then refill yeah. and it's not just for pregnancy as well so anyone that has an immunocompromised position so people who are on chemotherapy or people who have a, a oh, disease that causes their immune system to be less able to defend themselves should follow the same prevention okay. as well as we're yeah. talking about and the other thing too there is paul some people have um, children with sand pits yeah Yes. And sand pits are quite a, an attraction for Absolutely, cats. Absolutely, for feral cats. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes yes. the sand pit's not a great idea. Yeah, so always cover a sand pit at night if you can. Um, it does mean you've got less likelihood of that sand pit being used as a yeah, little tray. Yeah, good tip. Okay, now, another thing that is, one. apart from the um, eating of those little mice and the rodents outside, if you're feeding your cat raw food, this can also create another issue for you so handling of raw food when you're pregnant is not a good idea but also feeding your cat instead of raw chicken or mince or whatever it is that you're feeding get your um, cat onto some commercial dry or wet canned food for your cat because this again is going to eliminate another one of those areas that um, could actually create a problem potential risk yeah, yeah with listeria and whatnot yeah, the other thing, um, gardening. Now, when, I know it's a, the pet chat, not Scotty's show, but um, gardening. They need to wear gloves. Women must wear gloves when they're in the garden. This is super important because the toxoplasma is really resistant and it can live in the soils for up to about a year. Oh, okay. So any pregnant women that are out gardening, yep. be super careful with yep. that as well. And again, just, you know, really good hygiene practice. It's really important to keep your hygiene up. Um, and that way the cat can continue living with you in your family and being a loving family member yeah. with lots of happy memories to have had. So you definitely don't need to get rid of your cat. It's Not, just being a little bit um The risks careful. are very low. Yeah. And, and any questions that they have, certainly they can discuss those with their GP or obstetrician. Now, I think we have Carol from Cessnock. Hello. Hello, Carol. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. You've got a question for Dr. Paul. I have, Paul, yes. Yes, sir, Carol. Um, I know you can't see dogs' chocolate. Correct. But um, I recently bought my dog some treats with carob in it, but I'm still hesitant to feed it, really. Okay, so carob is completely safe, Carol. There's no no problems with with carob at all. So the problem with chocolate is it's turned into a byproduct called theobromine in dogs. Um, yes. and, and that's the toxic element. So carob doesn't have the same uh, metabolic pathway and it is, is perfectly safe for your dog to eat. Oh, thank you. No thank you for that. Enjoy that's the carob. Thanks, Carol. And we've got Marilyn from Mount Hutton now. And your puppy won't get into the car, Marilyn? No, we won't. Are you a bad driver? It's <laughs> <laughs> a little joke there. <laughs> Sorry. We'll let Paul answer that. M- Marilyn, what kind of puppy do you have? What breed? It's a cane corso. Okay, so a large mastiff breed. So yeah. large mastiff breeds will, uh, commonly are affected by um, vibration anxieties. And so what you really need to do with this one is initially just get him to get into the car with a lure or a treat and just sit in the car, don't turn it on. 
and do that for maybe five or ten minutes every day for about a week or so till he just gets used to the fact that the car isn't moving and it's a safe place to be. Then maybe then the next week try and getting in the car, turn the car on, don't go anywhere. Um, just let the car vibrate for a period of time. Reward him when he's showing calm behaviour, but don't keep saying good boy, good boy if he's showing anxious behaviour because we're then actually praising him for the behaviour we wish to extinguish. And what it is about is just desensitising him to being in the vehicle and then eventually the vehicle moving. It'll take time. Okay, then. Yeah, because I've, I've tried giving him a treat before he gets in and just opens his mouth and drops it on the ground. Yeah, so you're fighting an anxiety about the vehicle. So some dogs just won't eat while they're nervous. So it's yep. really about getting him so used to the fact that getting into the car, getting out of the car, feeling the vibration of the car always ends in a positive reward. Okay. All right, Marilyn, the best Thank of you. luck. And taking your calls on 49216216 with Pet Chat. Hello, Steve in Charlestown. Now, you've got a 14-year-old mini foxy and he's got an awful ear infection. Right. Tell us so, about it, Steve. Yeah, well, she had this for oh, how long now? A bit over a year. A year, okay. Yeah. And so and, what, um, what, what have you been previously doing to clean the ear? Well, we took it to the vets. They gave us some drops. They took some samples out and took a testing, and they gave us all different types of drops to put in the ear. And, and do you remember and was, what, what, how long they told you to give the drops for? Um, There's only a sm- small little dosage of things. I didn't really last more than two weeks for the, you know, to put in the, to put in the and My wife was doing it all the time. I wasn't personally doing it. She that's was doing okay. it all the time. So during the so the, the most common problem for ear infections to not improve is the duration of treatment is too short. So oh, so so two weeks is actually a really short time for an ear condition to be resolved by. So quite commonly, um, the the drops need to continue till the ear infection has stopped. And I think that's the most common problem that most clients have with these ears is that the problem will keep returning if you don't treat it effectively each time it, if a time it comes up. So if your drops run out in two weeks and the ear condition hasn't improved, then it's important that you revisit your vet, have, them, have another look perhaps at a slide to see that the same bugs are involved because that may mean you change your, your um, formulation. You might look at a different different uh, drop with a different yeah. um, cycle of activity. But, but don't stop until the infection is cleared. Now, the other thing for long infections, so a year is an exceptionally long time. So what's yeah. happened down that canal is the canal no longer is normal. It'll be thickened. It'll be narrowed. There'll be issues with air getting in, air getting out, also wax getting in, wax getting out. And this might be a situation where, sadly, we need to anaesthetize and clean the ear thoroughly before you treat because the environment is now no longer normal and even just regular drops may not be enough. Right. Yeah, because uh, I think we had about four or five different types of medication. Every time we go, they take a swab and send it away, get it analyzed, and we bring the dog back, and then they'll give us some medication. Yeah, so it's I working think it... while, while, while we're using it, it was working. Perfect. It was the smell went away, everything went away. Excellent. 
So, so then what's happening either that the environment means that infections are commonly returning, and that can be talking about using regular ear cleaning or maintenance. So Cheryl, for example, will talk about in those situations where there may be too much hair in a canal. In a foxy, that's less likely. But the problem you'll have now is that because the infection's been there so long, that narrowed canal will mean that you'll be treating the ear condition for some weeks to months before you'll control it. And I, and I would strongly suggest you speak to your vet about perhaps even anaesthetizing, starting with that flush out to start the ear canal in a, in a, a better state yeah. and then continuing the medication and go back each time that the drops are, are, are being told to go for so that the vet can be ensured the infection has actually been cleared. Because it even feels like she's, I think she's gone deaf. And look, but you can get middle she's... ear and in inner ear infections from chronic ear disease. So this is a good, a really mm. important dog to have see your vet, Steve. All right, Steve, good luck with it. I hope, um, yeah, I hope you finally get on top of that ear infection. We're going to go to Joanne now in Morissette. Now, you've got an 18-month-old poodle and um, there's a lot of rock chewing taking place. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. We've got um, small pebbles around, um, like along the side of the house. And she loves just going in and picking them up and chewing on them. Okay. And I'm concerned about her teeth, but I don't know why she's doing it. Yeah, so um, she, so all dogs investigate their world by putting it, their world in their mouth. So she's doing a few things. She's investigating her world, but she's enjoying the chewing process. So your best bet for this one is actually redirect that chewing behavior to an object you would be happy that she chews. So uh, okay. a chew toy or um, some yes. rope chews. So all dogs have personalities and some, some dogs like some chews more than other chews. So it's finding an appropriate toy. So the fact that she's choosing hard things to chew, you might be best to look at things like Kongs or the very hard variety of chew toy. It may be that the soft chew toys that are being offered aren't what she wants to play with. It's finding the appropriate yes. toy for your dog. Yeah, she's got plenty of toys, and there are other ones that she chews on all the time, so she just occasionally just goes back to the rocks. Yeah, so what you might want to do is start cycling your toys. So if a dog, mm-hmm. if a dog has toys available all the time, a bit like us, we get bored with them. So what you yep. might want to do is if there's a few toys that you know she really likes, give her a day or a two with those toys, that, that toy, take it away. Replace it mm-hmm. with, an, with another toy she likes. Replace it after a couple of days. So that there's something interesting and different happening. The toys just aren't okay. always available. All right. Okay. That okay. makes sense. Thanks very much, Joanne. We are taking your calls for Pet Chat on 49216216. We do have a free line right now if you'd like to give us a call. When we come back, though, we're going to look at our 2NURFM's Dirty Dogs It's all thanks to Dog Overboard. Now, Cheryl, we are looking for those pictures, aren't we, of a time where your dog has just been filthy, basically. The the dirtier, the better. The dirtier, the better. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll tell you how you can enter that um, and what you can win. Now, do we have uh, Deborah from Merriweather on the line? Yes. Now, Deb, your Border Collie is also chewing things. Yes, he um, he loves to chew the garden. Um, There's this mother-in-law tongue. He's almost decimated several pots. He's done the rocks in, so we've covered all the rocks up with um, fake grass because we have no grass in the backyard. Um, uh, but it's just... And he's got probably 15 toys. Yeah, so, so... he loves to chew the toys. He plays with the toys all night, all afternoon when we're at home. But when I'm not there, he just rips the garden to pieces. Yeah, so a couple of things are happening here, Deborah. You've got a work dog. 
So, so work dogs are requiring stimulation all the time. So um, things you can do with that is um, look at, rather than giving meal in a bowl, scatter your food over your whole garden in the morning so that your dog's going to spend the whole day trying to find the food. Um, the reason for the destruction um, is boredom or separation anxiety. So you mentioned that he chews toys when you're there and chews the garden when you're not. It could yeah. be that there's some separation anxiety about you not being with him. Um, so him or her? Him, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and, 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 yeah. So, at, at five months, he's starting to reach, reach some social maturity, but he's also still a puppy. So, lots of things are going to be needed to keep a border collie in a suburban environment stimulated, because bored border collies become destructive. So, so treat toys, home alones, there's a whole lot of things that you could look at using in your yard to keep a border collie stimulated, but that constant stimulation is your cure. Good luck, Deb. It sounds like Deb's got a work cut out for her yep, to, to try and um, yeah keep him busy. Uh, Trevor's in Cessnock. Now, you've got a great Dane, and he's got some anxiety, Trevor. Yeah, we just had um, two great Danes, and one um, has just passed away just recently. She got um, bit oh, by like a snake. Oh, Trevor. Yeah, that's oh, awful. terrible. But, um, um, yeah, so a young boy, he's only two, and he's always been around. Was it our other dog that was, has gone out, Coco? So, and he's um, attacking himself. Like, he's scratching his eyes. He's um, trying to bite himself and whatever. So I've put a, a bucket on his head to, to try and stop him from, from doing that. But is there any other, like, hints to, to try and um, stop him from... Um, yeah, attacking himself. Yeah, so I, I guess the first question I have to ask is to make sure that this is not just an anxiety condition, but perhaps a skin condition as well. <laughs> so things to look uh, at would be to have have your vet just check that there's no other physical reason that he could be chewing or or, or biting at himself, because certainly um, it has been a particularly bad flea season. So um, and dogs can only need the bite of one flea for flea allergy dermatitis to occur. So I, I wouldn't rule out that there isn't another condition that's causing the self-mutilation as your first step. Um, if you can, can be reassured that there isn't an actual dermatological condition causing the problem, then certainly anxiety is a, is a possibility. Now, um, dogs who have always lived with another dog and suddenly don't have that, that, that moral support can actually develop quite severe anxiety. And in often cases, we need to use some medication or antidepressants to help those dogs in that time period. So, um, so yeah, so, so certainly um, Great Danes by their nature are an anxious breed. They're, 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 they're sort of fearful of lots of different things. And so it, it can be one of those situations where if we've not got that other sort of soldier to help them at home, then dealing with that anxiety can 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 be challenging but it, it's really about i think in your first circumstance your history just makes me a little suspicious there may be an underlying culprit rather than just the anxiety yeah, we had a lot of um, mushrooms after the last lot of rain and i thought oh, i wonder if it's the mushrooms that were um, uh, um affecting him so i made sure that yeah, the grass was cut down all the mushrooms were taken away yeah excellent and, and, so, and not only plants lots of things can create allergies in dogs so I, I would talk to your local vet about whether there's an allergic response here that is causing this self-trauma 
All right, good luck with it, Trevor. And taking more of your calls, we've got a free line if you've got a question for Dr. Paul, 49216216. And having a look at the weather for our sponsor, the Hunter Motor Group Maitland, for new Honda, Subaru, Volkswagen and Isuzu Utes. Looking beautiful out there today and uh, warm, warm for the rest of the week, warm for the weekend. We're looking at 30 degrees. I know, unprecedented for April, so enjoy it while it lasts. Now, Cheryl, we're talking about our dirty dogs. This is so much fun. We're getting people to send in pictures to 2NURFM.com. You can do that by going there now to our website. Click on more at the top and then go down to Dirty Dogs. What can people win though, Cheryl? Oh, we want to see those dirty dogs. And when they get that picture into us, we'll have a look. We'll select who's going to be our winner for each month. And we'll give that dog a lovely bath and dry and make over for them. Now, we're selecting a, a winner each month, although, you know, God love you, last month you couldn't decide. So oh, you know, they were so good. Two. They were so dirty. We had to to award both of them. (laughs) We just loved that. Uh, But look, we do it at the end of the month, but I think we need to do it next Wednesday for this month. We will because we've got Anzac Day Mm. the following. So you've got a week to get your picture in for this month and you can go back and see our February winner and that was um, fantastic. You've got a before and after photo, so after Cheryl uh, did her magic on on the puppy. So please enter. We would love to hear from you. Now, taking more calls, 49216216. We're going to the phones right now. Hello, who have we got? To Hello. Hello, have you got a question for Dr. Paul? Yes, I do. My name is Laurel and I have a four-year-old rag doll. They're lovely cats. I, I have a had rag doll myself. They're beautiful cats. He's beautiful. Um, however, we do take him away in our caravan mm-hmm. and um, he loves going away on holidays in the caravan, but he gets a bit anxious in the car while it's driving. Sure. I do have him... Um, connected he has a harness on and he's connected to um like a, a long thing that sticks into the seat belt so he's quite like a resistant. harness yep. Yep. yeah yeah so and he, eventually he settles down but um every now and then he'll give this really loud painful yell yeah or, sure yeah so is there something that I can do to make the trip better? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. So often cats prefer to go into a box or a covered right. um, carrier where it's dark and they feel safer. So as you know, cats love boxes. So often a box mm-hmm. or a carrier in a vehicle is a really nice thing for a cat to have. Also placing the, the, the carrier, if you do have a carrier, on, on the floor is often better than a seat. Now, there are requirements, of course, about how you transport pets in a car. So just make sure you're following those. But um, the other thing is that there's a product called Feliway, which is a... Yes, I have used that. Yeah, and so Feliway can be either used sprayed onto a bandana and you can have your cat wear the bandana in the car so that the constant pheromonal um, benefit is there during your full journey. Or if you do look at using a carrier for the journey, you can spray the Feliway in the carrier as well. And that'll, again, again, have that benefit of the pheromone during the full journey. Okay. Well, I have actually used a carrier, um, quite a big one, and it's a, one of those ones that go on the airplane. Oh, yes, yeah. So he's got plenty of room in it. However, he's still quite... Yeah, so you want less room rather than more. So what really? what, what cats okay. are often looking for is that sort of den-type type situation where they've got somewhere nice and small as you know when a cat gets scared it'll often go under a bed or into the corner of a cupboard they're looking for for sort of confined dark spaces Um, and often if you've got a carrier also 
placing a, a, a sheet or a, um, a, a light towel over it, again, so we don't get it too hot in the carrier, but the darker the environment, often they'll feel safer as well. Okay, all right then. And um, Chris, he's such a big cat, he's six kilos. Yeah, they can be quite That's large, the males. The carrier to um, make him more comfortable in it. Yeah, so so often, as I said, the, the bigger the bigger the situation, so the bigger the carrier isn't always necessarily the best. It, it needs to be one that he feels safest in. And often a way of getting him used to that is have the carrier in your home before you travel so he can get yeah. in and out of that while, you, while he's at home. So he learns that being in the carrier is actually quite a fun thing to do. I do that at home as well, yeah. Great, good work. <laughs> well, good on you, Laurel. Good luck with your travelling. You know, it sounds like me. I get anxiety when I fly, which I'm doing this weekend, and I'm not kidding. I, I feel a panic attack coming on, and I have to lock myself in the toilet. <laughs> Some Philly way for you too, then, Sarah. Yes. I think it's well, <laughs> I, my choice is Valium, but um, I don't know how I'll go with the kids and that. So, yeah, it works. <laughs> get in that confined space. I think we do have time for one more call now for Pet Chat today, and we're going to go to – oh, we might even try and squeeze two in. Let's go to Andrew in Singleton. You've got a problem with dogs fighting. Hello, Andrew. Yes, um, yep. Yep, um, we've got three dogs. Uh, male Staffy 10, uh, who's undersexed. Um, a female Staffy who's six, who's dissexed. And an American Staffy who's two, that's, uh, oh, sorry, three, that's um, not dissexed. And the two females... I've lived together for three years and now they can't even look at each other without trying to tear each other apart. Yeah, so what's actually happened sadly is that if you have enough fighting within a social group, it is very difficult to have that social group often stay as a group. Because what's then happened is that the, you've got a victim and an aggressor and that can swap between the two. And, and visual, even just visualisation of the other dog can provoke the attack. Um, this is a pretty serious situation, Andrew, and, and one I would strongly suggest you speak to your vet about in that it is, it is very probable that, that um, one of these dogs will end up very severely hurting the other dog. So when you've got this sort of situation arising, um, separation is critical, so do not allow the dogs to see each other until you've spoken to your vet. There is medication to try and help with the anxiety, to try and make dogs calmer with each other, but don't let this one go because this is a very yep. serious situation. Yeah, we've, uh, we've had them separated now for probably five or six weeks. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking perhaps indefinitely. Okay, good luck, Andrew. Maybe yeah, pop in and see what advice you can get there. And I think we'll take our lucky last call. Terry in Black Hills Park, you've got a cockatoo that's turned up in your backyard, but he's not looking very well. No, he's turned up in the front yard of the place I'm working on. And he's sitting underneath a fountain, water, not a fountain, a bird bath. Okay, so, so Terry, your, your best advice would be to grab a large towel, um, wrap the cockatoo in the towel with wings underneath so that they're not hurting themselves and, and take that to be seen. Um, we have sadly seen a lot of cases of cytosine beak and feather this, this season, so that's a, a, a disease where the cockatoos lose their down feathers and lose the ability to fly, um, and, and again, sadly fatal. So the kindest thing to do would be to have that cockatoo seen by a local vet. But thank you for calling and um, caring and checking, Terry. We appreciate that. And that's just about it for Pet Chat today. Cheryl Shaw, thank you for coming in, My as pleasure. always, and we'll get to our dirty dogs next week. And Dr Paul McCarthy, you've been busy today. I have been busy, Sarah. <laughs> They've been great. Lots and lots of calls. And have a fantastic Fantastic holiday. <gasps>
Thank you so much. I will do. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>